réussir votre go-to-market sur le marché allemand est notre objectif. Depuis plus de 10 ans, l'équipe Wings accompagne les entrepreneurs et leurs équipes dans leurs projets de go-to-market sur le marché allemand. Nous croyons fermement que l'apprentissage auprès de ceux qui ont déjà fait le chemin est essentiel pour réussir. C'est pourquoi, dans ce podcast, nous donnons la parole aux personnes en charge de ces projets. Des CEO, des country managers ou encore des personnes qui font partie de l'équipe de lancement. Ils partageront avec nous leur histoire et nous livreront leurs précieux conseils et astuces pour lancer une entreprise ou un projet en Allemagne. Je suis Andrea Vaugan, la fondatrice de Wings.co. Nous aidons des entreprises françaises à lancer ou à améliorer leur activité sur le marché allemand et vice-versa. Alors préparez-vous à découvrir les secrets de la réussite sur le marché allemand. C'est parti pour l'épisode d'aujourd'hui. In this episode with Thorsten from October, we talk about the go-to-market strategy of October in Germany, how to launch a truly European company and brand, the setup of a winning partnership strategy to find the best customers quickly, how to set up the team in Germany and manage a truly European team with offices all over Europe, and in the end of the discussion, the importance of setting the right goals and why and how to create a master plan for launching more countries quicker. So let's jump right in. So, Thorsten, welcome to Go to Germany Stories, our podcast about um, French companies launching their business in the German market. I'm really happy to have you today and um, looking forward to our discussion. Thank you very much, Andrea. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, so, before we start into our questions, could you maybe present yourself a little bit? Um, where What's a little bit your background, where you're coming from, when you joined Uh, October, you're now um, the group COO and CEO Germany of October. And uh, also tell us a little bit what October does for those who might not know October yet. Yeah, very much. I'm happy to. I have a background in commercial banking and spent about 10 years in, in the UK, initially at Barclays Bank and then at Lloyd's, um, always with a focus on small and medium clients and really looking out for them in different ways and guises. And then um, in 2016, end of 2016, I joined Funding Circle um, to run their German business, um, went through the IPO with them, and then had the feeling that I wanted to kind of go and, and do something similar, but for a slightly smaller business as well, and had the opportunity to join October as the head of Germany in 2019, also as the first person on the ground really to launch the German business. And, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Um, for the people who don't know, October is a is a leading European um, alternative lending marketplace for small business clients. What does that mean? We have two types of customers. On, on the one side of the marketplace, we have small business companies that are looking for a loan. And on the other side, um, we have large institutional investors, but also 42,000 retail investors who can invest their capital into this new asset class, SME loans, and, and we're the intermediary in the middle and, and take the hassle out. Um, for, for all of them. Okay, great. Thank you. So you said you joined October in 2019 um, and then you started launching the German market or around that time, you, October started to launch the German market. Um, can you tell us a little bit what, uh, what was the situation at, at October at the time and how did you decide or how did the management team at October decide to launch the German market? What was the situation of the company? Yes, I mean, we had already, uh, so October, maybe from the very start, important to say, always wanted to be a pan-European business. We never had the ambition to be just a French company with some, some subsidiaries abroad, but it was always the ambition to be really a European player. 
And at the time that we launched Germany, we were already live in France since 2014, but it already started Italy as well, Spain, and also the Netherlands. So Germany was the fifth market that we launched. Um, what was really clear to us as well is in terms of why did we want to go to the German market as well? It was a very strategic decision to do that. Um, for us, being pan-European clearly means that um, the three biggest economies in, in Europe are France, Italy, and Germany. And we really felt you have to have a presence in all three of those economies in order to call yourself a, a real European player. And from the very early days of October, that was very clear strategic decision to do it this way. And, and also the shareholding structure actually represents that. So we have um, strategic investors on the cap table from both Italy and from Germany. And from a German perspective, that shareholder is Allianz. Okay. And so um, tell us a little bit about the, let's say, the, the story behind. So how did, it, how did it work? Did they look for you? Um, did they find you? How, how did you find yourself? So how did the project unfold, basically, from the decision that the German market should be launched? And then finding Thorsten, opening the German market, uh, what was the first, first couple of months? How did they look like? Yeah, it was, it was really interesting um, because I think, The, the initial kind of idea of October to launch the next markets and, and the next markets being the Netherlands and Germany was really born in 2018. And then it was very clear to the founders that they would only want to do this with the right people on the ground to kind of kickstart the business. And the person in, in our, my, my colleague in the Netherlands was found a lot earlier. So he already started in 2018 and, and kickstarted the business whilst the search in Germany um, seems to have taken a little bit longer and Therefore, um, we only launched in 2019, and it was great timing from my perspective. I, I knew the team, I knew the company, um, because I was in the same industry. So it was a, it was an easy transition in that sense. But yeah, it was really the strategy for each of the markets was to always find the person to launch the local country, um, and then build the strategy around, not around that person, but together with that person, and and really in, very closely hand in hand. So that, okay. that was kind of a little bit of the background. And then for me, um, really, I, I joined in September, as I said, 2019, as the first person on the ground. We, we literally had nothing. We bought a, a GmbH structure, um, but that was everything that was there. So it was really um, a very wide vanilla playing field and, and starting from scratch with a lot of support, of course, from, from my colleagues all over, all over Europe. But it was an interesting experience. Okay, so you start, you come into the company, you're the first person on the ground, you roll up your sleeves, I guess. And uh, what did you do? How can we imagine the first couple of months of what you were doing, the first 100 days, let's say? Yeah, the first 100 days, actually, we did an awful lot. But let's let's start maybe a little bit earlier on the first 30. So we, we very quickly hired um, an intern. And, and that proved to be a fantastic decision, actually. We got a really fantastic person um, who stayed with us for some time. And today he's actually a co-founder of his own little startup and the CEO of, of that business. So it was fantastic to have him on board. And, and, and together we really kind of did exactly that. We rolled up our sleeves. And, and for the first few days, it was just very administrative as well. Kind of just get all the structures in place and we needed to start applying for the license, um, which thankfully in our case was quite an easy license. We didn't have to go to BaFin, but only the local Gewerbeamt. So it was easy, but it still took an awful lot of time and an awful lot of phone calls. Um, we had to find an office, so we decided to go to WeWork, um, getting that all set up. We had to find the right advisors, 
not that many, but you need to have a proper lawyer um, to help you with contracting and everything. We needed to have an accountancy firm. So, so all of that um, was very, very administrative. And then from our perspective, really the most important tasks and the most important activities of those first 30, 60, 90 days was hiring. Um, recruiting the right people was, was the most important activity and the be all and end all because we knew the first few people that we hire into the local office are defining the culture for the rest um, of that business. And it was very important for us to get those first few hires right. Okay, and what were the profiles of those first people and how did you go about finding them? Did you look for yourself? Did you did outreach or go through through a, a recruiting company? Yeah, we we very quickly decided to go for a recruitment company because we didn't have a brand recognition anywhere in Germany. People didn't know us. People didn't know that we were existing. So it was almost impossible for us to identify and, and target and convince um, talented people to join us at that moment in time. So we went for a recruitment company and, and the profiles we were looking for were really like four or five different roles that we wanted to fill pretty early on. So we knew that we wanted to have a business development function um, and hiring somebody with a strong network was, was very, very important for us at that moment in time. We needed sales um, because we wanted to do business from very early on. And because we we're in a um, in a credit, uh, sorry, like in a loan function, you need underwriting and credit locally as well. So very clearly we knew from the very beginning we needed business development, we needed sales, and we needed underwriting, credit analysis. And then um, as a very fast follower also, we hired a marketing executive. Okay, to also bring the brand then to the German market, the October brand to the German market. But let's stick a little bit more uh, on the sales side to start because, of course, uh, the the first uh, goal, let's say, is to find the first clients to test the product. Did you do any, um, um, did, um, how about the, ad, ad, the, um, the localization of the product to the German market? Did you have to adapt the product to the German market? Were there any changes that you knew you had to do and maybe others that you found out that you need to do when speaking to the first clients? Thankfully, actually, a loan as a product is, is a fairly simple construct it, it mainly constructs of an amount um a duration and an interest rate so you didn't need to really change that that much however when you go into the intricacies of actually first of all how you assess how to grant that loan or not that was completely different and, and here lending is a is a super local market and it's actually nothing that you can really do on a pan-european basis and then maybe even more importantly from a from a customer facing perspective whilst the loan itself as a construct is the same, um, the contract to get this loan done is actually very, very different. And um, I, don't, I think anybody who's ever worked with French law and German law will realize that it's actually done in a very, very different way. And, and French contracts often go on for pages and pages and pages, um, versus especially on the financing side, German contracts are normally quite tight. And um, so we had to do a lot of translation not in the literal sense of french to, to german but actually really get get into the depth of what we mean with certain things and how we can translate this and i've got a little anecdote that's that's funny in hindsight in a sense but it wasn't at that time so um even before i had started um we had found a law firm that that should have helped us to get this contract this loan contract localized for us and and um, very clearly, we didn't give them the right instructions because, in a sense, we told them that they should translate the contract um, and, and make it make sure it would work under German law. 
which they did and charged us a lot of money for it. But when I had joined and then looked at it, it's like, this is not a piece of paper we can use with any existing clients. So that's so why I called them and said, what is that? And they said, they said oh, you know, um, we've just done what you've asked us to do, but we would certainly not advise you to use this in a German setting. <laughs> but they charged us a five-figure sum for it. So um, finding the right people to work with and giving them the right instructions was, was something that's very important. So we had to find a different firm um, to really help us translate the spirit of what we wanted to achieve as opposed to kind of just going from one page to the next one and saying, well, it doesn't make sense, but you still pay me for it. So, but but this localization, that was the most important part because we felt like um, it's a brand that people don't know and, and you kind of go into a multi-year engagement with this company. So most of our loans run somewhere between three and five years. So it was very important that um, customers felt safe to sign those contracts and also, it was very clear to us that they should always be under German law as opposed to under French law. Um, in, in our specific case, um, the lender of record is always um, a French fund, an asset manager based in France, licensed by the AMF. But um, the German company, the SME, should always feel like that they're actually having a loan from a German business, not from a French business. Yeah, so when we talk about money, of course, the... The trust issue is uh, very important, and especially uh, in the German market, it's very important. So it's not the first time that I hear this kind of anecdote on German contracts. Um, <laughs> and for the localization, how important it also is to have a German team that understands, that reads the contract and says, okay, this cannot be right. Um, we have to change it because it's better it comes from you than when it comes from the first customers who have to read the contract, right? Fully correct. Yes. So... Um, so that's that's interesting. So a lot of um, let's say administrative work to launch the business, and then also adapting the product from a let's say localizing the product so that it's acceptable, acceptable of course for the German client. Um, and then uh, we talked about business development and sales. So how did you how did you start to let's say look out for the first clients? Where did you find them, um, and um, what what was the structure that was put in place for that? Yeah, that's an excellent question, Andrea. So. Um, we decided very early on in the life of October, and, and not only for the German market, but, but really for all of our markets, that going with a direct marketing strategy would have been extremely difficult and, and very, very expensive because it's very hard to predict when a certain type of company actually is looking for funding. So if you want to go for a direct marketing approach, it's really a, a scattergun approach where you shoot a lot and, and you kind of hope that some of your messages will stick, but the return rates on that are, are very, very low. So we knew that we wanted to go with a partnership strategy, and, and which is why one of the very first people we hired actually was that business development slash partnership manager who was somebody who, who brought um, a, a little black book of contacts with him in the industry. Um, so we could actually start getting these relationships up and running very, very early on. And we knew that um, at least for the first few years of our existence in the German market, we wanted to mainly grow through the help of these multiplicators. So very early on, we, we decided to kind of who are the top five, who are the top 10 of those companies in the market. It's quite a small market. Um, and, and we made sure that we could actually connect with them and contract with them early on. And here it was extremely helpful that, that both myself and also the partnership manager that we, that we hired were already in the industry before. So we're two kind of well-known quantities for these people. And, and we had that level of trust that we already talked about just now with these partners so that said okay if these two guys are on board then it, needs, it seems to be a sensible business and we can without any any hesitation refer our clients to them as a as a partner 
that was that was really key to the initial success of the business. Mm-hmm. And um, so finding those first partners a lot through the network. So the fact that you were not a German company, but coming from France was, let's say, um, a little bit um, uh, easier because you were there and also the partnership manager who already had the contacts and knew the people. So basically the fact that it was a French company was not really an issue for those partners. No, not at all. We were never really perceived as the French company in the market or something like that. The fact mm-hmm. that we had our local team based in Munich, they knew us already, um, made it very local for them and, and they never perceived us to be a, a foreign company in that sense. And how did you, so you found those first customers, so basically they bring in for you the people that are looking for a loan, if I understand right. Correct. They are the brokers that are in contact with a certain customer yeah. base and as soon as they look for for a loan, they come to them and then they transfer them to you. So how do you build up this, um, let's say, partnership with those uh, partners? Because they, I guess that they also have other partners that they might refer their clients to. So how do you make them transfer the prospects rather to you than to others? Yes, no, that, that's, that's a key question, right? And, and for us, it was very important um, to have a, a clear USP to say, okay, what do we stand for? Because on the one hand, we want them to transfer the clients to us. But at the same time, we also don't want them to just transfer everybody to us, but only the ones where there's actually a good chance that we will give them a loan. If you think about lending as a, as a, as a product, it's, it's very different than actually quite a lot of other products where you're happy about every customer that wants to buy your, your product. If I'm just selling you a widget, um, anybody who comes through the door, I'm quite happy to sell you that widget and they take the widget away and I've got my money in my pocket and, and everybody is happy with the transaction. On lending, it's slightly different, right? Um, somebody comes through the door and says, I want to buy that product from you. I want to get that loan from you. In this moment in time, I cannot tell that person whether I want to sell the product to them and also what price I want to sell it to them. And once I do, I do my assessment and say, okay, this person is credit worthy. I, I give that company that loan. Then actually the difficult period for me starts because now I've given them um, the average loan that we've done in the German market so far is about 400,000 euros. So I've given that company 400,000 euros and I'm expecting them to pay it back over the next four years. So um, I'm, I'm now in a state where I need to kind of wait and hope and, and, and make sure that I monitor and check that they will continue to repay the loan. So it's, it's, quite, it's quite an interesting product, but you want to make sure that the leads that you get from your partners are the ones that actually fit your profile. So to answer your question, um, it was really important for us to be very specific to our partners what type of companies with what kind of features we would want to receive from them because the likelihood of that kind of company getting a loan was a lot higher. So we didn't need to kind of make ourselves busy fools to go through a lot of applications that had no chance of actually getting to anything at the end, which also would have been bad for the relationship with the partner because if your conversion ratios are so low, they stop sending you stuff. So being very specific and very clear about, okay, what is the type of business that we are looking for with them? And, and being very, very clear and, and really keeping this niche and narrow in a sense um, was, a, was a crucial success factor at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And is there, so when the customer, once he's in contact with you and discussing about the loan, because basically he did not in the first place come to you, but he got referred to you. Um, how do you, um, I mean, is there still a question of branding once you're in contact with the final customer so um is there 
how because i mean there are some you know hard facts so what's the cost of the loan what's the repayment um um let's say length of the loan for example so there are some hard facts but are there also some soft factors that come into decision for the client why he would choose you maybe over someone else even though the offer is maybe not the same yeah for sure i mean and, and it depends a lot on the customer and there are some that are just happy to get something and, and they're quite happy to sign and they don't care as much where it's coming from and there's others who are really want to be very clear about who their partners are and, and normally the bigger the company actually gets the more they also want to do a little bit of a due diligence in a sense on you and and to understand that you're a long-term partner for them so for us in that moment in time it was also super important that we had the local office um we chose munich deliberately to be based here because in bavaria there's a lot of sme companies and and it's actually seen as a quite it's a quite safe place, right? So um, having our own setup, being based out of Munich, already created some sort of trust with that companies for us. And, and the fact that they could have come and visited us if they had wanted to um, was also really quite helpful. And then that's why we also needed the sales team because just because you make an offer to somebody, they might have competing offers with slightly different interest rates, slightly different um contractual terms um so having a sales team on the ground was also really important who could make sure that we could actually close those deals when we had them on the table mm. and um so it's a lot of relationship business then between the salespeople and the final customer between the partnership manager and the partners um how does uh, let's say a branding or marketing aspect get into this relationship where you basically are not looking, I mean, the question is, did you also add some direct um, sales or some direct uh, relationship or customer acquisition to the strategy later on? Or um, how do you basically do this um, marketing and branding through the partner mm -hmm. and to the so, market? Yeah, no, it, we, we started kind of playing around with performance marketing a little bit um, over the time, not only in Germany, but also in the other markets. Um, we still haven't really found the, the perfect solution for this um as I said before it's incredibly hard to predict when a company is actually looking for finance um but of course you kind of try to play around with that a little bit you get a few customers that that come directly to your website because they're aware of the brand um but when it comes to branding actually it's, it's very interesting from our perspective we have got three very different audiences that we need to talk to so on the one hand we've got sme clients and, and they're normally very local, right? So the kind of media that they consume are, are not the, the large um, newspapers or, or the Handelsblatt or something like that, but they might be looking at their local newspaper in their own city. And, and that's kind of the, the sphere that they work in. On the other side of our marketplace, we have large institutional investors who are very financially savvy um, and who are exactly looking at that kind of publication to see what's happening in the markets. And, and they want to talk about capital markets and debt capital markets and and interest rates and what's happening in the economy and then we've got a third um a third group of people that we need to talk to and, and these are both these kind of partners that we've already talked about and i would also add actually potential future employees into this group as well because they're interested in fintech they know what's going on in the scene and, and they're really kind of living in this bubble so we have these three very different and very concrete um customer groups potential customer groups that we need to talk to And all of them want to be um, talked to in a very different way, in a very different language, and through very different media. So that was a lot of balancing that we had to do at the beginning. And, and for us, we knew that we didn't have the capacity to, 
to really do all of that at the same time. So, so we said, okay, what is the most important one of those three groups? And we decided, okay, let's look at the ones with the partners and the potential employees, because for me, that was the most important um, element to build out October in Germany and, and the biggest success factor. The partners would then bring the SMEs, so we didn't need to, to market to them directly and build a brand in that space either. And we were benefiting on the investor side um, because we had a one pan-European fund. Actually, we're benefiting from all of the work that already was happening in the other countries. And we have a really wide range of big institutional clients out of all of those countries. So we could actually um, initially take that for granted and, and benefit from the work of my colleagues. And what was a little bit then the setup for this kind of communication to this one target group that you were that was the most important for you? Yeah. I mean, we, we hired, um, after a few months, we hired uh, a PR agency as well to help us with that and, and to really put out a plan on, okay, what, what are the conferences that we should be attending, getting speaking slots, um, being interviewed in the right publications. That, that was really quite helpful. And having a PR agency from, from my perspective on top of our marketing manager was clearly very, very helpful. And do you see? Um, so I, I, I understand the setup that you that 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 you did. Do you see any, or did you experience any, uh, let's say, major difference between what was happening in Germany and what was happening in the other markets? Of course, the French market, but you were talking also about the Netherlands, Italy. Um, so, is there a difference in the way that customers react, that partners react, and that you have to that you had to adapt, or that you found out between the different markets that there major differences yeah for sure i mean really as i said before the the lending market is a super local business and and actually lending is done very very differently and in, in, in the kind of um way that people react to lending is also very very different in all of those markets so the germans as we all know they really don't like taking out debt and so it's something that is not considered necessarily as something that's very sexy and people don't talk about it so openly um so we had to take this completely into account. And, and from a branding perspective, I mean, very clearly October already today, but also back then, um, and, and even before when we were known as Lendix, um, was a super strong brand in, in France. Huh? So everybody in the industry really knows October. Everybody knows Olivier. He's such a shining figure when it comes to the French fintech scene. But that was not transferable to Germany. Um, there was just nothing there. So we had to really start from scratch. And I think that was similar in a sense um, to our other markets. So the Netherlands and Italy and Spain, they also had to pretty much start from scratch, from the beginning and, and, and build their own identity that had to be slightly adapted to the local market, but still fit the overall brand identity of, of October as a whole. Mm. And so what, what would be then interesting as the next question is, how do you um, manage, um, you know, on as October, and, and you told me before we did the interview also that from the very end, you mentioned it in the beginning that the fact to become a really European brand and really European company uh, was the goal from the very start of the of the adventure, I would say. So how do you manage this internally? So how are the teams distributed between what is happening centrally, uh, I guess, in the Paris or in the French uh, head office, and also in the different markets? And how do you bring it all together so that it becomes a European brand that is um, that, that, that people recognize in the different markets. And it's, it's actually, we're really proud to say that um, we have less than 50% of the overall workforce of October is actually being based in, in, in France. And not only in Paris, because ever since COVID, of course, people have been distributed 
a lot more across, but but it's less than 50%. And we, we always said from the beginning that we wanted to have local centers of excellence, so to say, um, that we're really supporting the overall European business. And those centers of excellence should not all be based in Paris. So um, as an example, we have got our data management team that really does data and data science for all of October, super important function. And they're being based out of Amsterdam. Um, and our risk management team, again, risk management is really for a lending business, one of the most crucial functions you can have. And, and that team is based in Milan and, and services all of our all of our functions. Myself, you said it before, I'm the group COO now based out of Munich. Patrick, one of the co-founders, spends a lot of time in Paris, but he actually lives in London. So we are a really diverse and, and distributed team and have been from the beginning. And to an extent, that really helped us through the COVID time as well, because we were always ready and, and we already had um, that, that DNA to having to talk to our colleagues all the time through the video as opposed to kind of being in the same office all the time. So I think we had a, a little bit of a head start there and that helped us. But yeah, that was a really important part of the DNA from the very beginning to be distributed across many different countries. And, you know, sometimes um, that, that can be a little bit of a, of a text that you have on your business as well. Because if you have everybody in the same location, sometimes communication can go a bit faster and trust building can go a little bit faster. And, and we needed to be extra um, cautious about it and, and extra um, to kind of really make a, a very clear effort to do this communication and, and do this in a very structured way, which, which other companies who are all in the same location do not. But at the same time, we very clearly believe that we have a big upside because of that Europeanness and being able to really attract talent from many different markets in the best possible way. And today we actually we, we see that um, we have colleagues supporting. Um, so, so for example, we have a, a French colleague who actually works in our Amsterdam office and he works for all of our markets. But for him, it was really important that he could be based in Amsterdam as opposed to being based in Paris. Um, and that was one of the attractiveness why he actually joined October. We hired somebody to support only the Dutch market, but that person is actually living in Italy. Um, and that was possible for us because we already had the entity and because we already had the structure. And, and we would have not been able to, to get that talent on board if we had not had that distributed mindset. And maybe uh, give us, because I'm, I'm really uh, curious, give us maybe two or three tips that you at October do like every day or every week or every year to really make it work. Because, of course, out of sight, out of mind um, is something that comes to my mind. And um, how do you do that? I mean, do you have certain, I don't know, Slack channels or meetings or is it just um, because... It, It's much a lot about business, but um, you know you create those relationships through business, but also through just getting to know someone, which is much more difficult on the distance. So, how do you manage that? No, it's, it's, some it's tips. Very, I'm not sure if we can actually go, do a lot of tips, but but we try really hard. And um, and I mean, of course, Slack is um, the most important resource that we have in the business, and, and there's a lot of communication all the time on on Slack and a lot of talking. Um, At the same time, I think it's, it's really important and the people who do it in the best way that you not always only write messages, but actually sometimes just use your telephone or a Slack huddle or something like that to talk to the person and switch your video on because you are not in the same location. And sometimes it's too easy just to write a quick message and then to forget about it. Um, so, so really take that extra effort and maybe make a short phone call. If it's only two or three minutes or a video call, actually that will help you build this relationship better. 
we have a very clear structure of um, regular fireside chats that we do within the business where everybody is invited and we talk very openly and transparently about all of the things that are going on in the business. Um, we use OKR as our planning methodology and we spend a lot of time in making sure that the teams are aware of what's going on, giving updates on those fireside chats on the different key results and how we make progress. And, and all of that costs time. That's the kind of text that I meant before, but I think it's just the crucial part of making sure that you can keep the whole team on the journey. And then the out of mind, out of sight is, is a little bit more difficult if everybody is distributed. Uh, because if you're the only person who is not there, then it's much easier to forget you. But if everybody is not there and there's no there to be there, um, then thankfully people are quite, quite clear about the fact that everybody is in a different place. One of the other things we've been always doing is also um, do an annual offsite um, where we get everybody together from the team in the same location for a few days. Um, and, and that's always a good mix of, of business-related content, but also a lot of fun and, and just a lot of networking and team building because it's the opportunity where you can actually get to know your colleagues and, and really spend, a, spend some fun time together and let your hair down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And how many people do you have now in October distributed all over Europe? It's just under 100. Okay, so that's a, a good size um, already, I mean, to, to, to still stay close and I guess to know almost everyone in the company, I guess, um, and uh, to, to, to get this team spirit together. Yeah, it's definitely manageable. I mean, it's the smallest company since I've worked for for a long time. I initially started my career with Accenture and I heard yesterday they've got about 750,000 employees now. Um, and then I went to Barclays where it was about 100,000, Deloitte's about 50, Running Circle at about 1,000 and something. And then um, in October when I started with 70. So um, a lot more easy to actually know everybody and really have a good relationship with everybody. But across five locations it still means you actually have to do some effort mm. one of the other little little tools we use are just random coffee chats that we have on a, on a weekly basis so everybody who wants to participate in that is in a certain slack channel and gets a message every morning when every monday morning at 10 30 to say that's your random pair and and then people are actually quite good in, in sticking to that and for me that helps a lot to just talk to people that i maybe would normally not talk to that regularly or just um, without an agenda. And, and we make sure to not only talk about business-related stuff during that time, but also just to get to know the person a little bit and, and kind of who are they and what drives them. And, and for me, in my role, that's actually quite important. Now that's nice, a random coffee uh, chat. Um, I'm going to keep that um, as an advice um, to, 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 our, to our community. So... Um, you just, uh, you know, touched a little bit upon it, but my question would be, so you come from a different background, much bigger companies, uh, internationally distributed. So, and then you come into this small startup to build, to help build something uh, on the European market. So what is your, I guess, I'm already guessing it a little bit, but what's the favorite thing for you to work for, uh, let's say a small company? And initially I wanted to say a French company, but I cannot really say that anymore. <laughs> After all you have told me more for a European company, what's, what's the favorite thing for you personally? Yeah. I mean, my, my, my favorite part really for working for a company like this is the, the people I'm very, very clearly. We have a super diverse set of people from, from many different countries, not only from the five markets that we're present in, but much more across. And it's just such a pleasure to see really those 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 talents coming together and to build something that is quite exciting. So 
Um, and and of course, my favorite part of working for for a smaller part, a smaller company than a, than a large corporate is you have much more decision making capabilities. And and actually, there's not many committees. When you ever work for a bank, you know that you have to go through committee after committee after committee, and and at least fifty percent of your of your time is spent sitting in some meetings where nothing is decided. Um, we, we don't have the luxury of doing that. We need to take decisions and then stick to them. And, and then when we realize we have been kind of not getting it 100% correct, that, that's fine as well. We pivot a little bit and make some small adjustments, but at least we have started on the, on the journey. And, and that's just great. I mean, being able to, to have the power of decision-making and to try things out. And, and if it doesn't work, you stop. And if it does work well, you, you continue and you, you grow it. That's, that's great pleasure. Hmm. There's one question um, that comes to mind that I didn't ask you um, before is about um, setting goals because you were talking about OKRs and that you're using the OKR methodology. But for the German market, uh, you know, when you started to open up the market, how did you set the goals for for this market? Maybe on a quantitative level, but also maybe on a qualitative level. What were kind of the, let's say, the steps that you wanted to achieve and how did you how did you set them? Yes, and, and maybe I should have talked a little bit more about also what what we did initially because um, so far we've concentrated a lot of things that I have been doing, but we we also had um, an international development director based out of Paris who really helped me an awful lot um, because he had already been involved in launching the other three countries. So we had a bit of a master plan on all of the activities that needed to be done. And, and quite frankly, without him, life would have been a lot harder for me as well. So we, we had all the structures and we had some timelines against that. We did need to do the localization, of course. But um, when, when I started in September 2019, we, we had some, some very clear goals about being able, by the end of that year, we wanted to be ready. Ready meant we wanted to have a team in place. We wanted to have all the licenses in place. We wanted to have the contracts ready. We wanted to have the website translated, the customer journey working more or less. Um, and... On a non-committed basis, we also wanted to do our first loan in 2019. That was something that I was really keen on. And, and we almost managed to do that, but in the end, it didn't, didn't quite, quite work out. It was a, it was a sad, um, it was a sad story because we, we had a customer and we wanted to give them the loan. And then in the very last minute, we, we realized that they were probably fraudulent. So that was Aww. a hard decision, right? Because on fraud in our industry, you can never know quite sure. So mm. there's no, no certainty, but you have a feeling that that customer probably wasn't what they were saying they were. Um, so we took this really difficult decision for us to say, no, we will not manage to achieve this objective of doing that first loan in 2019. We'd rather wait a little bit longer, but we do not want to risk the money of our investors. Mm. Okay. And um, and then, so you said, um, be you ready at the end of the first couple of months because it was a couple of months for you in the company and then for the first year so for 2020 um how did you i mean did did you did you still mix quantitative and qualitative objectives um and can you tell us a little bit about this because uh, i mean goal setting for the first couple of years is really complicated because you know the market a little bit but you haven't experienced it yet so you cannot really know exactly how customers will react um, you also have to uh, continue localization you have to build the brand so there's so many things that you have to do in the beginning and going only for quantitative kpis i think is complicated and sometimes also um, stressful for the team because you have to build everything that is working so that people trust you and you cannot really measure trust right so um so how about the the, the first couple of years 
Yeah, no, it's, it's very true. Um, and especially for the first year, kind of the first full year 2020, um, we, we took great effort in, in figuring out, okay, what, what do we really want to achieve? What is it that by the end of that year we want to have an hour in our bags? And, and we decided to do this around three major buckets. So the first one was people. Um, we knew that we had a core team hired by the end of 2019, but that probably still needs to double by the end of 2020. Um, so, so hiring the right people and continuing the build out of the team and, and all of the things that actually were related to that, like getting bigger offices and, and all the infrastructure around that as well. So that was one of them. Um, the second one was brand. And, and it was very clear to us that we needed to build this brand October in that bucket that we talked about before, i.e. the partners and employees. And we, we set ourselves some targets in terms of how many articles that we want to have, how many conferences that we want to go to and speak at and things like that. And, and measure it like this because very, very difficult to measure um, brand. And, and especially with a name like October, um, SEO also becomes really hard. It's not <laughs> easy to figure out how many people are searching for October in Munich. A lot of them are, but most of them are looking for Oktoberfest. Um, Oktoberfest, yes. And then the third one was, was of course, the, the, the euro amount um, that we wanted to lend out to clients. So those mm. were the three things that we had put on our, on our agenda. And, and then we did um, half-yearly OKR planning around that. So we said for every six months, what are the, the different um, steps we want to achieve? Where do we want to be at the end of that six months? And how are we going to measure that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. So really mixing um, the different goals that you have, especially when you launch a market. And just one question that adds to that um, is so you said you had an international expansion manager or expansion director that was based out of Paris and you already had, let's say, the the structure. How do you, um, I mean, do you? And then if yes, how do you also document this? I mean, do you have a lot of documentation about this internationalization process in terms of playbooks or things like that? And, and, and if yes, how important is it to do that? So we, we, we had it, um, a very clear master plan or, or roadmap um, playbook, however we want to call it, but it was a super detailed Excel spreadsheet um, that had all the all the different steps that needed to be taken and all the different things. And, and, and the, the first step from launching the German market then was from our perspective really to make sure that we could localize that and say, okay, where do we need to make some small adjustments? Because any market you go to, you always have to make some adjustments to that playbook. But it was there and it was so important to make sure that we wouldn't forget anything anything crucial um, and then realize that three months in and, and have to start from scratch again. Uh, for me, this was absolutely key to have something like this. I mean, anybody who has a strategy of going into a number of different European markets or international markets over a course of a number of years, I think, the best thing you can do is invest early on in making sure that that playbook works and is adaptable enough for localization, but it has a really, really clear structure. So for us, it was an absolute key. So I think some people would really like to see that playbook <laughs> and have the insights. Maybe one day you can publish it. <laughs> maybe, maybe one day, but I think it's actually really specific for your own company and for your mm. own industry. So on something like this, I don't think it makes sense to copy something that somebody else has done because every industry, every company is slightly different. Every setup is slightly different. Um, and in the first country, you know, you don't have it. But but take that time when you launch your first country to document all of the different things and, and, and actually, quite frankly, also to take note of all the different mistakes you've made because other people in the future, when you launch the next market, 
will make similar mistakes. And if you can help them not to do that, then that's worth a lot of money. Um, and, and I benefited greatly from, from having another three country CEOs um, of October in different countries. And I could call them and say, hey, how have you done this? How have you done that? And, and they're like, oh, look, I've made this mistake back then. And don't fall into the same trap. So this was so helpful for me. And um, that, that really sped up the time that it took for us to launch this new market journey. Mm. Yeah, I can, I can, I can imagine. Um, I think we're coming a little bit to the end of the discussion. We heard so many things, very, very helpful and useful things um, to how to, to, to manage a market launch. Maybe still because, you know, we have a very, let's say, French, German um, glasses at, uh, at Wings and in our go to Germany story. So maybe when you have the chance to go to the Paris office, is there something when you come back where you said, I would like to take it with me or something that you, you know, like very much about, about French or the Franco-German Uh, relations can be something to eat i mean i don't know <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of things to eat. to eat that i would like to take back um <laughs> but you know i mean i i don't like going to paris um because the journey is always a nightmare and anybody who goes to paris regularly i, I think we all share this um getting from, from the airport getting from the airport to the city is just so difficult but every time i'm there then finally arrive in the office i mean the spirit is great and, and, and the vibe of the city is just amazing We are very, very fortunate in October that our office is in the ninth arrondissement. So we're not very, actually, I think about a hundred meters away from Galerie Lafayette. So it's a perfect place to, to kind of, especially in the summer, um, or in the spring to be there, to be outside, chat with your colleagues and, and, and the spirit is just amazing. So if I could bottle that up and bring it back, um, that would probably be a nice little side business. Um, but yeah, that, yeah. that's really something that is very amazing. So when I came from where you are to Paris, I wanted to bottle up the German Alps, the Bavarian Alps, and take them with me to Paris because this is, you know, on the other side, what you can really, really, really miss <laughs> from Munich uh, to Paris. And I share the frustration about the journey. I always take the train, but it's uh, it's very long. It's getting better, but um, no, it's uh, you're a little bit more in, in the city. You know, I once, once you took the there. overnight. I once took the overnight train, and I thought this is my new way of, of commuting <laughs> to Paris and then it got stuck somewhere about two hours out of Paris and, and I was stuck in this little village um, with no information about what was going on and the train was just sitting there for three hours um, so sometimes I take the train as well but but not the overnight one anymore unfortunately yeah maybe ho uh, hopeful I think they stopped it for some time and, and let's hope it's coming back it will come back in December for Paris from to go from Paris to Berlin um, I think there's no overtrain night, uh, overtrain, overnight train anymore from Paris to Munich. But let's, uh, let's, let's see if this maybe will come back. But yeah, so, the, I think with the Olympics, hopefully the, the city will invest a little bit more in the infrastructure. Yeah. Well, let's see. <laughs> let's see. Um, maybe in, in, in two or three words, is there anything that you now looking back on the last uh, couple of years? Is there anything that you would have done a little differently or would you said, okay, if I, if I had known at the time, I would have done it differently? Um, yes, I think I, I said it before um, that it was very important in our communication to our partners to be clear about what type of customer we would want to get from them and, and to be focusing on our USP. And I think whilst we've done that, we should have done that even more. We should have been even stricter and even be clearer about what is the target customer that we want to go after and make sure that we execute on that first 
um, because sometimes you have so many great ideas of what else you could be doing that you can get a little bit distracted. And we try to keep that focus, but in, with the benefit of hindsight, I think we should have been even stricter on that. Hmm. Okay, I think that's a perfect, uh, perfect last tip for anyone um, who is uh, launching the German market about, you know, really knowing who you want to sell to, especially in the beginning, if you have to concentrate on something and you have limited resources, right? So um, thank you very much, Thorsten, for all of uh, your ideas and all of the tips that you gave to our listeners and also to me. And um, yeah, looking forward to see what's coming in the next couple of months. Thank you very much. Thank you. Je suis heureuse que tu aies écouté cet épisode jusqu'à la fin et j'espère que tu as appris quelque chose de nouveau pour ton projet en Allemagne. Si tu as des questions ou des commentaires, n'hésite pas à me contacter par email sur andrea.vogan.wings.co ou sur LinkedIn. N'hésite pas également à nous donner 5 étoiles sur Apple Podcast. Vielen Dank. Rendez-vous la prochaine fois pour un nouvel épisode de Good Germany Stories, le podcast de l'entreprise en expansion.